He was born into a family of faith. Then he walked away from that faith. Why? Ultimately, he came back as Jehovah God revealed himself to him. But how did that happen? Today, I tell a story of a journey from faith to doubt and back to faith in this episode of Jesus Stories. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Jesus Stories, the podcast which tells the stories of Jesus in the lives of those who follow him, living out their faith and writing their own Jesus Stories. All of these Jesus stories come to you because of your support for us, your prayers uttered on our behalf. We appreciate that. And if you'd like to join that support, I invite you to visit our website, jesusstories.info, and click on the Support This Podcast tab. That's jesusstories.info. Now, in previous episodes of this third season of Jesus Stories, we told the stories of the lives of people that you may have known, people from history all the way back from the Apostle Paul to baseball great Jackie Robinson, the stories of their faith and how it transformed their lives. But you must know that everyday people also live out Jesus stories. And while these stories may not have the world or national impact that the stories we've shared so far have, they have an eternal impact on the lives of those living those stories and to those closest to them. That's the nature of today's story. And I'll tell you that story in just a moment. Today's Jesus story is different from all the others that we've presented this season. You see, today's Jesus story is my story. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to indulge me as I tell the story of my own faith journey. Now, this is not my usual practice, but the Holy Spirit has impressed on me the need to share this journey with you. Perhaps it's to give you the understanding that your own Jesus story doesn't have to be as dramatic as the ones we've told in the last seven episodes to be a valid story. Jesus stories can be lived out by anyone who is a follower of the Messiah. So, let's begin. I am the oldest of three boys born to a couple who were Jesus followers. I say were since both mom and dad have passed. We were in church every Sunday morning and many Sunday evenings and Wednesday evenings as well. There was prayer and Bible reading in our home. And at the age of 16, I made my own commitment to following Jesus by being baptized. All through my childhood, we moved around a great deal. I mentioned that because it's important for what comes next. The, the first 12 years of my life were spent on the Gulf Coast in the United States, in Florida and in South Mississippi. And then we moved up to the Washington, D.C. area for a few years, then down to a small town in Alabama, and then to suburban Atlanta. 
I was 17 to 18 years old during my time in the Alabama and Atlanta areas, and it was during this time that I began to pick up on inconsistencies in church teachings as we moved around. These were regional teachings of interpretations of the scriptures, but those interpretations were teachings expounded upon as if they were Bible. The Bible was used to justify positions, positions which were well-meaning, I think, but not the point of the scriptures that were used. That bothered me. So I distanced myself from the fellowship of the church. I didn't go looking for another church. In my own teen rebelliousness, I just decided that this type of inconsistency was something I didn't want in my life. So I gradually moved away from church. I would go every now and then. I always went with my parents when I was at home. But once I was finally away from home and in the United States service in the Air Force, I really didn't make any effort to be a part of any congregation or to follow Jesus. I'd go every now and then, but my heart was critical. I was pushing Jesus away. Finally, I just didn't try at all. In fact, I was more interested in making a career, building wealth, and living well than in following Jesus. I married. I divorced. I took part in the world's activities. And then I remarried. Now, this second marriage became a turning point for me. My wife had been raised in a semi-church environment, and we talked about going back to church. We started visiting churches of various kinds, but to no avail. On one visit back to my parents' home outside New Orleans, my mother told me of a pair of Davids. Hmm, Davids, you say. See, there was a preacher in my parents' home church named David, and his college roommate was another David who was a preacher in suburban Memphis, Tennessee. And that's where my wife and I were living at the time. So not being a morning person, I made a visit to this church one Sunday night. I was greeted by a couple, David and Karen. They were about my age at the time. They were in the same stage of life that uh, my wife and I were. They introduced me to Dan and Lisa, also of my age. We became almost instant friends. I heard Bible-centered preaching. I heard glorious praise. I went home excited to tell my wife about this amazing experience. She returned with me the next week, and we began a years-long relationship with some amazing people in this congregation. As they loved us back to Jesus, my commitment to the Messiah was renewed and strengthened. And it wasn't long before I was invited to teach an elementary class on Wednesday nights. Now, teaching is a surefire way to grow up quickly in whatever field you're sharing with a class. And grow I did. I grew quickly in my understanding of scriptures in ways that I never had before. But Jehovah God's class was just starting not quite a year after returning to following Jesus and fellowshipping with our new church, my wife and I found we were pregnant. Now, this was not easy to come by. She had to take fertility medication to achieve this pregnancy. So when we heard the news, we were really excited. 
Six months into the pregnancy, however, she went into premature labor. The doctor put her on complete bed rest and said that someone would have to stay with her all the time. This baby could come at any time, and right now at 24 weeks gestation, he would not be viable. Well, what could we do? I didn't have enough vacation time to cover the time that might be needed to care for my wife and our child, but she needed round-the-clock assistance. Our church family came to the rescue. One of the ladies in the congregation scheduled a series of women who would come and stay with my wife, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, until I came home from work. Some two and a half weeks later, our son was born. 27 weeks gestation, three months early. That was 40 years ago. That that was a time when a a preemie of this gestation and weight had a very slim chance to live. At one pound and 14 ounces, the odds were against his survival. The doctor gave him a 20% chance of living. It was only because one of the labor and delivery nurses insisted upon it that a neonatologist was present in the delivery room, and that doctor was not sure of my son's future and the quality of his future. I remember the first time I saw him. He was just over 12 inches long. He looked like a shriveled up little old man. His little tiny body was covered up with all kinds of sensors, and one of the nurses came to me and explained what each sensor did. One monitored breathing, another kept his pulse, still another was an experimental monitor to show his oxygen levels. He was on a ventilator as well. I was surprised when I was told that I could touch him. His little back was the only place that I really felt safe touching him. I did so and was pleased at his reaction. But the reaction that thrilled my heart the most was his little fingers clasping my index finger when I placed it in his hand. I would talk to him, and soon he came to know my voice, and when he got upset, I would stroke his back and talk with him to calm him down. Now, this was just the beginning of the ride, however. If you've ever had a preemie, you know what I'm talking about. About two weeks after his birth, we got a call from the hospital saying that he might not make it through the night. His potassium levels were elevated, and the doctor couldn't reduce them. His levels were lethal. We needed to come see him now. We went. It was late, about 11 o'clock p.m. We saw him. I remember praying over him. And very early the next morning, around 5 o'clock, I called the hospital. And I was told that he was okay. The staff and doctors don't know what caused the levels to come down. It wasn't anything that they had done. And I just remember smiling to myself and thinking of the miracles of healing that Jesus had worked. He had done it again. Now, this was a revelation to me, a spiritual revelation. I had been taught all my life that the age of miracles had passed. This wasn't the way of Jehovah God anymore. I was staring at a miracle. A baby who had been on the verge of dying was now well. Nothing explained that event except the working of Jehovah God in his little body. But there was another revelation that would come to me later. 
It wasn't long after that that I was visiting my son. I had a practice to see him before I went to work and after I got off, and then later that evening with my wife. And during that visit, I was praying over him, as I usually did. He was improving, he was growing, his vitals were better, but he wasn't out of the woods yet. He still couldn't breathe on his own, and he was being fed through a tube, but he was fighting. And as I stood over him, I heard the Holy Spirit clearly tell me that he was going to be okay. And another lifelong teaching fell. I'd always been taught that the Holy Spirit worked only through the scriptures. Yet I was hearing the voice of Jehovah God clearly as I prayed over my son. The words I heard were true. He was and is okay. Now, some 40 years later, the teaching that put restrictions on the voice of God and the presence of Jehovah God on this earth weren't accurate. As Jesus put it when he was talking with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are bored of the Spirit. Jehovah God revealed another lesson in his school for me. Now, some 14 years later, I experienced the pain of divorce. My son's mother veered off the path of following Jesus only through the power of Jehovah God's presence in my life and the presence of my church family. I stood strong and helped my son to navigate his pain as our lives were torn apart. I'm happy to report that a new woman entered my life, became my life partner in marriage, and we've been able to walk with Jesus together for the last 23 years. And yes, there are five grandchildren to delight in. So for the last 40 years, Jehovah God has led me through some amazing events and teachings. Part of what he has called me to do is share those teachings to the best of my ability with others. And that's you, my dear listeners. So let me share what I picked up along the way. One, even though we walk away from Jesus, we can all do that. He calls his creation back to him. While I was away from him, following my own path, there were times when he called, but I didn't listen. Finally, I heard and I obeyed, which is all he wanted. Two, just because I've heard a teaching in my childhood, it might only be a child's understanding. Yes, Jehovah God works miracles today. And yes, Jehovah God's Spirit speaks to those who hear today. And today, I've grown and understand better what Jehovah God has been telling me in his scriptures. And I'll understand even more tomorrow. Three, the power of the message of Jehovah God can be presented in many different ways. For years, the primary way of sharing these truths is through preaching. There's nothing wrong with preaching. I've been guilty of it myself. But I've also been privileged to present the truths of Scripture through drama and music. And currently, you know of this podcast as another way to present Scriptures. And I share Jehovah God's truths in a discussion group each week. Four. The power of the influence of a Jesus follower in the life of another person, whether that person is a Jesus follower or not, cannot be minimized. 
It includes your family. My son is a great example. He's a youth pastor who has touched the lives of teenagers from Tennessee to New Mexico to Illinois. I've served and taught teens whom I've watched grow up and honor Jesus in their lives. I've been able to share Jesus with an adult class off and on for the last 20 plus years. And lastly, I've been able to share Jesus with you as a listener to this podcast, and I pray that you've benefited from my teachings. That, my dear listeners, is my Jesus story. No, it's not dramatic, but it's a story which has enriched my life and times on this earth. It's something I'm still learning, I'm still growing, I'm still sharing. And as long as Jehovah God gives me the strength and the ability to do so, my Jesus story is still being written. Question, what about yours? What's your Jesus story? Would you be willing to share it with me? Now, as we've seen today, it doesn't have to be a dramatic story, just one which shows how the power of Jehovah God has shaped your life. If you're willing to share, would you write to me? You can write through my website. It's jesusstories.info. Click on the Talk to Us tab in the menu. You'll find several ways to respond to me. That's jesusstories.info. And finally, a reminder, these Jesus stories come to you because of your financial and prayerful support. Find out how to help us out by visiting jesusstories.info. Click on the Support This Podcast tab in the menu. That's jesusstories.info. In two weeks, I'll share with you another Jesus story. Join me then, won't you? Sweet is the name